Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Now, here's your host, No Shame on You's founder and president, Miriam Ament. Welcome to the 15th podcast of No Shame on You, an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising mental health awareness. My name is Miriam Ament, and I am the founder of No Shame on You. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Sophie Regal, author of Don't Tell Me to Relax, One Teen's Journey to Survive Anxiety, and How You Can Too. Hi, Sophie. It's so nice, nice to have you with us today. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to first start by thank you so much for sharing your story in your book. I so enjoyed reading it, as, as I was just telling you before we got on the air. Uh, with anxiety on the rise, you're giving so much hope to teens around the globe. First, can you tell us what made you decide to write the book? So I think a few things um, caused me to write this book. Uh, the first thing was when I was in seventh grade, I gave a presentation to my class about what it means to have OCD, what it means to have anxiety. And I did that because I was being bullied by my classmates. And after I gave the presentation, after they became educated about the, the issue, um, the bullying actually stopped. So I realized that education had a huge impact. So that the first reason for writing the book was, A, I wanted to educate people um, about mental health, mental illness, anxiety, OCD, things like that, so that there'd be less stigma, less bullying, things like that. Um, the second reason is when I was dealing with all these things, um, I really wish that there had been a teen to tell me, you know, this is going to be okay. This is going to turn out just fine. You're not alone in this. And so I wanted to be that teen for someone else. Well, that's amazing. And you, you clearly are that teen for so many. Thank you so much. So um, you just mentioned the bullying you received. Your book starts talking about the glitter incident. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners what happened in the incident and how you got through it? Because reading it was so, it was so hard to read because it was, it was so relatable and also it like was heartbreaking at the same time. So I was wondering if you could detail for our readers what that was like and how you got past it. Yeah, so um, my book starts out with this story. I'm in fifth grade and I'm at my, one of my first sleepover parties with a group of girls. Um, I wasn't exactly sure why they invited me but I decided to go even though I had some anxiety around being social and being away from my parents for a night, things like that. Um, and when I got there, everything was, started to be fine. Um, and we started playing truth or dare. And they asked me, you know, Sophie, what's your biggest fear? And at the time, my biggest fear was glitter. Um, and I had no idea that that was something that was abnormal or something that like, wasn't typical of other um, girls my age. And I woke up the next morning and they had, they had dumped an entire bucket of green glitter in my hair. Um, and I became absolutely hysterical. That was my first panic attack that I can remember. Um, I was so angry, so sad. I was clawing at my hair, uh, trying to get the glitter out, and I was bleeding. Um, my dad had to come pick me up. And when I went to school the next day, this was like a Sunday, so I went to school the next Monday. Um, they had put like glitter on my desk because uh, they thought it would be funny that I had this reaction um, and to tell other people about this reaction. So people, everyone in my grade knew that I had this fear of glitter and they began to exploit it. Um, so that was really, really challenging. Um, I think 
I didn't get through that until seventh grade when I did give that presentation. So two years later, um, and during that time, more irrational fears manifested itself. So I had an irrational fear of red markers. I had irrational fear of germs and all these things. Um, these kids that I was in class with thought were just like funny things to exploit and to make fun of me for. So I had a really, really challenging um, time during those two years. And it didn't end until um, the education where I gave my presentation. It's amazing, though, that opening up really you know, brought to light what was going on with you and maybe, you know, had people really second guess how they were behaving. I think yeah, that's, absolutely. That's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing it. Cause I, I know it's a story that so many can, people can relate to. Uh, and, um, to know that you got through it and you ended up writing a book, you know, about that incident and many others, I think is, is such a testament to your strength and how people can get through these things, even though at the mo in the moment, sometimes it seems so difficult. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned, I, I know this was in a different context, but you mentioned um, trying to get the glitter out of your hair. Do you want to talk a little bit about the trichotillomania and, and tell our readers what that is and uh, how you've gotten through yeah. it? And it? Yeah, so um, in seventh grade, I was diagnosed with both obsessive compulsive disorder and trichotillomania. Trichotillomania is a hair pulling disorder that's kind of a subset of obsessive compulsive disorder, where it's you compulsively pull your hair out to get some sort of release. Um, and so I was diagnosed with this. And I finally told my therapist about this after I had multiple bald spots on my heads and on my head and had um, no eyelashes left. But I didn't understand that, again, that this was something that was different. Um, and when I went to school with these bald spots, I had to lie to my friends or my peers about what was going on. And I remember I don't think this was in the book, but I remember um, one time they asked me, like, what happened to your eyelashes? And I think I told them that I was frying an egg and the oil got on my eye and burned my eyelashes off. Um, <laughs> I think I was at that point used to telling kind of elaborate stories um, about, you know, what was going on with my hair just to cover it up. And anything would be better than saying I pulled my own hair out. Right, right. I mean, that, that makes sense, but you now, you worked through it to the point that you have been able to uh, resist the urge? Yeah. Right. So I just, I just want to tell our readers to, to walk them through that, that you can be diagnosed with trichotillomania and then reach a point in your treatment that you're no longer literally pulling your hair out. Correct. So um, I know that provides hope for people, but that's, thank you again for sharing that and for talking about what it's like when you're living with it and people are asking you questions and then that there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, so along those lines, uh, your twin brother and parents were so supportive as you sought out the different treatments for recurring panic attacks that you talk about. For people out there who experience panic attacks, can you please share what it feels like to have one, especially in the middle of a competition that you've been training for, as you detail, and how, how you were able to go on to be a national champion um, after having a panic attack in a, in a key competition? Yeah, so just to give some context, um, in high school, I was a race walker, um, which is an Olympic sport, not really a college sport. But anyway, that was my sport of choice. Um, and I, I did that very competitively, competitively throughout high school. And um, during my state championship meet that I worked so hard to get to, I had a panic attack and ended up not being able to feel my legs. And then eventually I collapsed on, on the track after finishing in pretty much dead last. Um, 
and that was not my first panic attack. I've throughout that year, like leading up to that race, I had like one to two panic attacks per day. Um, so I had been out of school for about a month because I couldn't go to school without having a panic attack. And what that feels like, um, for me, it, it honestly feels like you're dying. It feels like you're, go you're having a heart attack um, and you don't exactly know why, what's going on. For me, my, leg my legs go numb. I feel almost dissociated from myself. So I can see what's going on around me, but I can't comprehend um, anything. And I feel almost like out of my body, like I'm looking at myself from above, which is a really odd feeling. So personally, panic attacks for me have, have been the hardest part of this journey to kind of overcome and um, cope with my anxiety because of how physically taxing they are. And after I had that panic attack during my state championship meet, um, I said to myself, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not ready to, um, you know, lose opportunities because of my own anxiety. And I went on the next week to win the national race. Um, I think part, part of it was I was lucky that I didn't have a panic attack during that time. And also part of it was I went into the mindset saying, like, I'm going to finish this. Um, I'm not, no matter what happens, it doesn't matter if I come in first or last, I'm going to finish this and I'm going to do this despite and because of my anxiety. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so that's, and that again, gives hope to people that just that you could have a panic attack at a bad time. That doesn't mean the next week or the next big performance that you, you, you have, you know, coming up that you can't persevere and, and talk yourself into getting through it. Correct. Yep. That's amazing. Um, well, what, what were the different treatments you sought out for the panic attacks and the OCD and the, <coughs> how did you finally uh, find a combination that worked? Cause I know, I know you tried, you know, there were, there were definitely different, uh, trial and error periods. So I, the first thing I did was, um, I went to a therapist starting in seventh grade. This was like talk therapy. And I actually used her all the way up until college, which is this year because she stopped her practice. Um, which was perfect timing. It was great. But she was she was wonderful. We ha had five years together where she really got to know me, um, where we really worked on talking about my fears, talking about what thoughts I was putting into my own head and how that impacted my actions and my feelings. So we had that. Um, and at some point when I had these panic attacks, uh, I realized that that was not enough. Um, and not that I was contemplating suicide or anything like that, but I really said to my mom, I don't want to live like this anymore. I can't deal with not being able to trust my own body and trust my own head. Um, I don't want to live in a place where I feel like I am not myself. Um, so I was really, really scared about, after having one to two panic attacks a day, I was really scared of what is this going to look like for the rest of my life. So I said, mom, we really need to do something. And I went to a psychiatrist who I still use. He's amazing. And he prescribed me with some medication that worked for a while. Um, and then stopped working and I began to have panic attacks again. And then a new medication, I started a new medication that stopped working. And eventually um, I found a combination of medications and therapy that was really effective. Um, I know I get this question a lot when I'm speaking, which is like, how do I know what kind of treatment to give my kid? Um, and I'm really scared of medication. Do you think it would be helpful? And what I always say is when I, was first considering medication, I was really, really scared because I thought it would take away all the things that made me me. So I thought it would take away my drive and my motivation and my passion. Um, 
even though it was going to help with my anxiety. And I wasn't sure that that trade-off was worth it. And I decided, you know, I'm going to try this for a little bit. And if I don't like it, I can stop. So I did that. And it eventually, um, it worked wonders. It was fantastic. And then what I tell parents is that they're often scared about medication for mental health purposes specifically. And I say, you know, if your kid had cancer, would you be would you be so hesitant, hesitant to give them chemotherapy? And the answer is always no, I would do whatever it took. Um, and I say to them, good, do whatever it takes for your kid because this is no different. That's very powerful. And I'm sure it means a lot to a lot of parents who don't realize how severe these conditions are and how, mm-hmm. you know, just like any other severe physical condition, this is a severe condition. So thank you for using your voice and, and helping countless people. Uh, with yeah. Such tips. Um, along those lines, you end your book with lots of great myth busting and lots of great advice. So, in addition to the advice you just mentioned, what are some top tips you'd give to both teens and their parents? So, some top tips. Um, so, the first one that I always talk about or that I like to talk about is treat your mental health like your physical health, just as I mentioned with the, the cancer situation. And that is, you know, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, whatever it may be. Um, you have the right and you should go get help just like you would go see a doctor for a broken leg. Um, it's no different. And and because there is stigma, that's why people think it is different. But once you get rid of that stigma, it really is no different than um, going to a doctor or getting medication, things like that. So that's the first thing I always um, say. I always I say also, that too. I use okay. the broken leg analogy too. Okay, go yeah. ahead. No, no worries. Um, Actually, in my second book, which I was just published in November that I co-wrote with my mom, um, it's, it's called Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame Anxiety for Work, School, and Life. And it's really 36 really concrete tips, um, a lot of them backed by research for how to manage anxiety. So some of those um, have been, you know, name it to tame it. So you need to name what you're feeling in order to understand how you're feeling and in order to um, learn to cope with it. or the one that I really like is you need to um, meet them before you move them. So when you're helping someone who's dealing with anxiety, the first thing people tend to do is to jump into action. What can I do? You should do this. Go to therapy. Get medication. These very like action-oriented sentences and phrases. Um, and what I've realized, and my mom and I have talked about this a lot, is that you need to meet them where they are. So saying things like, this must be really hard for you. Tell me a little bit about your experience. Um, tell me what you're feeling. You need to meet them in the situation where they are before you can start to move them because you need to gain their trust first. And that's where parents often go wrong with their kids. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's some, that's some very great advice. So tell us uh, where we can, where people can find both your books and what else you're up to and you have coming up that you want to share. So both my books. So you can find both my books on Amazon. Um, And you can also find my first book, Don't Tell Me to Relax, on donttellmetorelaxbook.com and the second book, um, Overcoming Overthinking, at overcomingoverthinking.com. That's fine. And then it's also, I think, in stores like um, Barnes & Noble, online, things like that. Um, Yeah, so those are the books. What is coming up for me? So right now I'm in my second semester at Duke University, and I'm loving it. And oh, I, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, and I, w- I kind of auditioned to do a TED Talk at Duke. So they picked three students each year to do a TED Talk for the community. 
and I got chosen and I'm, and I'm doing um, a TED talk about the language we use on medical forums to talk about mental health and how that represents how we talk about mental health as a society and how that really contributes to the stigma that we're seeing. So I'm doing that, which is coming up February 9th, which I'm very excited about. Well, it's, it's, uh, you, you're, you're giving the talk on February 9th? Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Is it going to be a public, like a publicly shared link? There'll be a video afterwards. Okay. I can't but wait to It'll be it. on YouTube after. Great. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Um, what else is going on? I'm, I'm hoping to write another book. I got to think about what I want to write it on. Um, <laughs> I just love the process of it, which is so funny because my first book took me four years to write. The second book that I wrote with my mom took me three weeks. So oh I have no God. idea. Yeah, I have no idea what to expect if I write a third book. Maybe it'll be one week. Maybe it'll be 10 years. I have no idea. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Well, it sounds like you have great stuff going on, and I'm so glad you like, uh, you're enjoying Duke so much. Yeah, me too. It's, it's such a great environment. I'm really happy about it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to seeing your, your, the video of your talk coming up on February 9th and you know, for looking out for all the other great things you're up to. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Cool. Let, let us, um, if there, is there anything else you want to share uh, with our listeners before we get off the air? No one's alone. Um, and I'm also happy if anyone's listening, if you want to talk to me directly, I'm happy for you to email me or call me. Actually, don't call me. Email me. Um, I'm going to tell you my email, uh, which is Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E-L as in Leah, Regal, R-I-E-G-E-L at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer any questions you have anytime. So let me know. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sophie. That's really, Thank really generous of you with all you have going on to be so giving of your time. Um, so thank you so much for all that you do to inspire people. And uh, for more about No Shame on You, check us out at www.noshameonyou.org. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you.